Man, it's good to see everybody this morning. It's really good to see all of our students in here. Um, I wish that you would just take a moment and thank all of our host homes who uh, took the weekend to have our students in their houses. You know, I don't know if you realize how hard it is to have, like I did, 13, 14, 12, and 13-year-old girls at your house. It's really difficult. I wouldn't know anything about it because I left. Uh, Hampton and I saw the writing on the wall and we took off. That's just called smart. They had a good time though. You know, this is a great season. It's a really great season, uh, especially for us as we talk about renewal. And I want to encourage you in this season to keep going. I want to encourage you to keep going in your reset and your renewal. If you've just started the reset material... 100%, keep going. I mean, just absolutely dig in. If you fell off and said like, man, I started really good, but it's not been as, I haven't been as consistent as I need to be, jump right back in. If you haven't started yet, you're you're not late to the party, go out to the Next Steps desk. We have a couple of those books left. Uh, The recent material has has been so good for us, and I just keep hearing from so many of you about how God's uh, doing great things in your life. Let me ask you to do something for me just for my own sake this morning, just to encourage me. How many of you, like I have, have in the last 20 days, have God answer some prayer in your life as you started in the reset material? That's good, isn't it? If, if, you, if you've not had that yet, keep praying. Keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, uh, because it's coming. So make sure that you're journaling, make sure that you're praying, make sure that you're diving into the word every day and just asking God to speak to you. Uh, I've been just absolutely res- uh, just overwhelmed by the response of our church. What I don't think I realized until uh, this past Wednesday night is that, you know, our church may be a little bit late to the bandwagon here in Tennessee. Terry McAllister showed me an article about churches in Tennessee that are just absolutely uh, seeking God right now. And there's these little pockets of revival that are popping up. Uh, and so I'd love uh, for that to happen in our life too. You know, I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're praying for. And, and, and we are praying, as we said early on, that it would be really hard for people to just run past all that God has for them and go to hell from Tennessee. We want to stand between people and, and an eternity of destruction that just says God loves you and there's another way over here and, and you can be part of this. It's open to you and so I'm so excited just to be able to hear that. Uh, and as Scott Patty challenged us a couple of weeks ago, every time we're praying for renewal, that's a prayer that God answers. God starts to move in and of our lives in that. And, and last week, uh, Whit Chapman did such a good job challenging us uh, to go into the Word and have the heart of God from the Word of God. And I know you were blessed by that. I was, I was really blessed by it as well. Tonight's our last renewal conference, and you're not going to want to miss it. Ryan Moore is speaking to us, and I believe that Ryan is going to be speaking to us about grace and, and the role that grace plays in our lives, how we're saved by grace. But then it's grace that continues on with us in our lives. And I, I was just reading this past week uh, a book by Andrew Murray who was saying the same thing, that we're saved by grace, but even in our prayers, it's grace that holds us in all of those things. It's God's grace that allows us uh, to be able to live this life that he's called us to. And so I, I just say all that to say, I really don't want you to forget the importance of next week. Starting Monday is our week of prayer and fasting. And if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, I very seldom tell you, hey, go back and listen. But you really do need to go back and listen to last week's sermon because it's gonna outline for you some ways that you can participate in that week of prayer and fasting. Uh, And and it's really important that you do that. Uh, We're we're gonna spend a week 
kind of focusing on some things that are really essential to us at the detriment of some things that are normal to us. You know, there are some things like eating, there's some things like entertainment or or whatever you choose uh, that are normal to us in our week that we're gonna set aside to really focus on some essential things in our spiritual lives and ask God to speak to us through that. And, And that starts kind of our week of prayer and fasting and our week of prayer starts tomorrow at 6 a.m. right here in the sanctuary. We'll have an opportunity for you to be here 6 and noon uh, every day, Monday through Friday uh, this week. And those will be led, those sessions are gonna be led by our ministers. And here's what I'm encouraging you to do. I want you to make one of those every day. If at all possible, try to make one. You'll have 30 minutes where you can come and pray. And you say, man, I, it's just, I can't make it or whatever. That's fine. Join us at those times and pray. You know, make every effort to be here, but join us in those times if you can to pray. You know, if, if you're at work, slip out to the car and, and just pray for a few minutes and join us in that. Uh, our ministers are going to be leading you through some corporate prayer, some things that we're asking God to do in our lives. And there'll be some time for you to pray individually and, and maybe even in some groups. But we'll, we'll be done in 30 minutes every one of those sessions so that you can get back to whatever you have kind of going on. Um, I just have to say, I'm just amazed at how good God is to us. I mean, that's, that's just, that's kind of the overwhelming feeling that I have through this season of renewal is how good God has been to us. You forget that sometimes. Do you know what I mean? It, it's just easy to kind of, kind of put your head down and just kind of run and kind of grind and do whatever you're doing and just kind of stop uh, for a minute and just remember how good God is to us. We're blessed by that. Uh, you can see this morning that we have the Lord's table set before us. And uh, as we looked at the calendar, it really seemed appropriate for us to start the week of prayer and fasting with the Lord's Supper. And we haven't uh, kind of uh, spoken about the Lord's Supper with a dedicated sermon in a number of years. And I felt like it was time for us to go back and do that, kind of to, to get our minds focused on what's about to happen through this week of prayer and fasting. And uh, I, I think that uh, you'll be blessed by this. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning. So keep your Bibles open. The first one's going to be in Mark, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. But my prayer is that God's going to reveal himself to us this morning through these two different passages of Scripture. And that what's going to come out of this is that our faith will be increased, our hearts will be made clean, and that we'll be ready for a great week of prayer and fasting, asking God to reveal some things to us. So Mark 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 22, that's where we'll begin. Uh, because it really gives us an account of the very first Lord's Supper. Uh, and I want to give you just a little bit of background while you find your place there. The Lord's Supper, as we read it in the, in the Gospels, is taking place at the very end of Jesus' earthly life. So it's the end of this three-and-a-half-year, three-year ministry period that he's been in. And it's actually taking place as they've moved towards Jerusalem. The triumphal entry has taken place. And this is right up against the weekend where Jesus is going to be crucified. But there's something happening in the background. There's a lot of background noise taking place. And that's that it's the Passover weekend. And and we'll talk about that in in just a minute. But the Passover is very important. And the timing of all of this taking place at Passover is very important. So let's read verse 22 of Mark chapter 14. Jesus and the disciples are, are having this Passover meal. And it says this, as they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, 
they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you can imagine the disciples sitting with Jesus around a table, let's kind of picture this for a second. More than likely, they're in this upper room that they've, they've asked this man if they can use for their Passover celebration because all Jews required to celebrate the Passover once a year had been an ordinance given by the Lord that they were supposed to do a command of the Lord from the days that they left Egypt. And so they're sitting around eating this meal, probably on, on cushions around the table. You know, they're, they're reclined at the table, it says a lot of times. If you get this picture that they're sitting on the floor eating this meal together. And it's not just any meal, it's the Passover meal. And the Passover meal consists of some prescribed things that had to be eaten. And the timing of all of this, that it's the Passover meal and the First Lord's Supper meal all taking place days before the crucifixion is not coincidental, it's providential. It's not coincidental, it's providential. God is doing something in providence here. He's determined the order of these events for us to see very clearly What's happening? And, and, and if you understand the Passover meal, you understand it commemorates the, the Jews' deliverance from the hands of the Egyptians. Uh, they had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt as God was building them into a nation. And God sent uh, two men, Moses and Aaron. They were brothers. And they were supposed to go and speak to the great leader of Egypt named Pharaoh. And they were to tell him, you need to let our people go. We're going to go out into the wilderness. We're going to worship our God. And Pharaoh wouldn't do it. And so God sent some plagues. You may remember there was a plague uh, where the Nile River turned to blood. There was a, a plague of grasshoppers that came and, and, and just filled everywhere. There was this, this plague of, of hail that came and destroyed everything that was out. The crops were destroyed. There's, I mean, there's nothing left. Their land has literally been ravaged by this. And Pharaoh still is hardening his heart and will not let the people go. And so God sends the worst plague imaginable. I want you to think about this because we read this stuff and we run right by it. The death of the firstborn son. If you're a firstborn son, would you stand up? Stand up if you're a firstborn son. Look around the room. Dead. Thank you. That affects Every one of us, right? It affects me. I am the firstborn son. It affects my one and only son who is a firstborn son. Dead. Can you imagine when it says there was weeping and wailing that went up from that place like had never been heard before? Can you imagine how awful that must have been? The only people who were not affected by this were those who celebrated the Passover meals, the Hebrews. They took the blood of a lamb and they put it on the doorpost of their home and the death angel passed over their house and went to the next one. And when it found blood, it passed over that house, right? And so all of this is taking place and the Jews are to commemorate this all the time. And, and there's this whole theme in the scripture that we shouldn't miss but the theme of deliverance in the scripture is huge for us. 
The theme of deliverance is all through the scripture. It starts in the Old Testament. It goes all the way through the New Testament. We see that the children of Israel are constantly praising God for the deliverance they had out of Egypt. You read the Psalms. David is constantly praising God, not only for that deliverance, but for the deliverance in his day from enemies, from, from snares that have been set for him. They're constantly praising God for deliverance. But then they're praising, I mean, praying for God to deliver them from something that, that holds us all down in its sin. And, and the spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ, takes this Passover occasion and he stops everything. And you can kind of imagine him doing this. It's, it's like he stops and says, hold up, guys. Everybody pay attention. And he takes this bread and he blesses it. It means he, he prayed over it. We're going to do that in a minute. And then it said that he broke the bread. This is my body, broken for you, right? Then he, he takes this, this cup and he passes it around. When, when he talks about these things, there's a passage in the Old Testament that my mind goes to every time. I just want to read it for you. It's Isaiah 53 and verse 5. I can't ever take the Lord's Supper without thinking about this passage. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. The breaking of the Savior's body is what brought healing to us. It, it's what brings peace to us before God. I mean, that that's allows us to be in fellowship, in relationship with God. The very fact that, that his body was broken, that his body had stripes put on it by a cat of nine tails, this whip that, that was, was nine, nine pieces at the end of it filled with, with things like bone fragments and rock so that it would absolutely tear the flesh off a person. He's saying to these disciples, I'm picturing for you what's about to take place. My body is broken for you. When we think about that, we think about a body being broken. Let me, you know, you know that feeling like you get when, when you work hard, like in the yard, or you've been on a mission trip and you've done that physical labor, it's been that all day kind of thing, or maybe you've done like a long distance race, or you've gone on this huge hike or you've climbed a mountain or something like that, and you just get back and you're just spent, right? Now times that by 100. It, it, it's that times 100 is going on. That's a body that is, is literally broken. Jesus takes that cup and said that this blood is, is going to be a covenant. It's the new covenant. And this word covenant is really big for us because it's how God enters into relationship with us. God enters into relationship with us through a covenant. And, and this is very important because you can't step outside the covenant and be in relationship with God. It doesn't work. You don't get to make up your own rules. I don't hear this as much anymore, but this is kind of an older thing people used to say to me as a pastor is, well, you know, me and God have an understanding. I mean, that's great. I hope it's this one. Because if it's not, you're lost. You're lost. You don't get to approach God and say, this is how I'd like it to be. That doesn't work that way. You might get to approach a friend and, and say, this is how I'd like our friendship to work. Or you may take a new job and think that you get to negotiate salaries and, and days off and things like that. But you don't get to come to God and negotiate. The covenant was established through the breaking of a body and the blood that was spilled. That's it. That's all that there is for us. See, in the past, our sins were, were taken away through sacrifice of animals, right? The blood of the animals 
covered our sins, but it didn't wash us our sins clean. It didn't wash us clean. But the blood of Jesus Christ washes us clean. So we no longer need to eat this Passover that celebrates uh, the, the, the deliverance from Egypt. Now we're eating the Lord's Supper, which celebrates our deliverance from sin, our deliverance from destruction, our deliverance from hell. And we celebrate that supper the same way that Jesus instituted it that night. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus told the disciples, do this in remembrance of me. It was really common in Baptist life years ago that we had like pulpit furniture and stuff. How many of you remember like your pastor used to sit like in a big, really uncomfortable chair up here and stare at you? You know, it's kind of creepy. And, uh, and, and we had a, a table that would be down front and almost all of those tables across the front, they, they just sat here. They said, do this in remembrance of me. It's pointing to the Lord's Supper. Now, depending on your background, you may have taken the Lord's Supper more frequently than we do here at Judson, or maybe you've taken it less than we do here at Judson, but the Bible doesn't speak to the frequency of of which we take this. It does say that we should take it. And in our church, we celebrate not only the Lord's Supper, but one other ordinance. We celebrate baptism, and those two ordinances are the ordinances of the church. And it's really important that you understand that they're tied together with one word. And it's this idea of symbolism. It's symbolic for us in what we're doing. And, and I, I go to baptism. You just heard us preach about that you know, a month or so ago. But when we talk about baptism, we're not talking about you being saved because you were baptized. We're talking about you picturing something because you've already been saved. So when you're baptized, we say that you're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and it's symbolic in nature, showing people that the old you has passed away and that there's a new you walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been established in the covenant. This new you has come forth, all because of the work of God previously in your life, not because of the work of baptism. But we do it and we picture something. And and the reason that we baptize by immersion is because it's the only thing that accurately depicts what takes place in the scriptures. Okay, that's it. It's symbolic. The same thing actually happens when we take the Lord's Supper. Uh, It's symbolism. There's a a meaning here for us, but the key word is symbolism. Uh, What we're not doing today as we take the Lord's Supper is offering you further grace. There's no further grace for me to offer to you. Uh, some people believe that, that, that as you take the Lord's Supper, there's something that kind of happens with that. Some people believe there's actually a miracle that takes place with that. that we're, we're all about the symbolism of this here. We're doing something in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's nothing special about the grape juice or the bread that we use. We use unleavened bread. It's, it's not delectable bread. It's, it's not a hot biscuit. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not, I don't know. Do any of you eat unleavened bread at home? I doubt it. You know, like a, maybe a cracker or something. I mean, it's not, you, you, we don't eat unleavened bread, right? It's, it's strange. But there's something about the texture of that bread and the strangeness of it that causes us to think very specifically about something. We're thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his body. I said there's nothing special about the grape juice. Some churches use wine. We, we don't use wine. We use grape juice because we don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. So in this way today, there's symbolism taking place about what what Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross. And I want you to see 
some of the things that become really important about the Lord's Supper from another passage of Scripture. Turn to the right in your Bibles till you find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because Paul wrote the Corinthian church a letter, and in it he addressed some problems that were going on with the Lord's table. When they would come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper, there were some issues that were coming up. And, and as we look at this, we'll see how those issues were addressed, and I think it's insightful for us. So it's kind of a long passage, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 23 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after the supper and said, The cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood, uh, the bread and the drink of the cup, oh, I'm sorry, of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way and let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you. And many have fallen asleep. He, he means dead right there, just Go on, go on and, like, if you have any doubt about that, he means dead. You're already dead, okay? Uh, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned by, uh, with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone's hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. And I will give instructions about other matters Whenever I come. Okay, big passage of scripture to read for me to essentially boil it down into two things that I want you to see out of this. Because we, we've talked about kind of the, the meaning of the Lord's Supper, but there's a why we do the Lord's Supper and there's a how we do the Lord's Supper, okay, that he talks about here. So he's going to talk about the why behind the Lord's Supper and he's going to talk about the how or the manner in which we take the Lord's Supper. When he, he started in verse 23, he was saying over and over again this word remembrance, right? You, you hear Paul saying over and over again, remembrance. Do it in remembrance. When you remember something that's important, you, you think back on it. And, and it, it, it becomes something that, that kind of floods your memories, right? So when we think back on what Jesus Christ has done, same thing happens. I can remember being a child and my grandfather, I had one of my grandfathers, who served in the army during World War II. And one of my grandfathers was a shipbuilder during uh, World War II, uh, building the ships down in Louisiana, uh, Mississippi area. And my grandfather, who was in the army, about the time that I was kind of coming along in the 1980s, many of you will remember this, it became a very big thing for them to have reunions. And, and they, would, they, would, they would gather together. So all the guys that were part of, part of uh, the group of soldiers that he was together with, they would meet and, and they would do the strangest things, you know, in, in my mind. Um, they would wear kind of clothes that identified themselves as being part of, of this unit or whatever. Uh, when they got together, they would, they would have this big fancy meal at these reunions. He'd bring my grandmother. They'd dress up and go to these things. They'd show pictures, you know, and talk about the battles they were in. And this had been, you know, 40 some odd years, 50 some odd years in the past. But they were thinking back on it. And it caused them to eat this meal. They would sing songs, you know. I mean, like, um, I remember finding a, like, almost like a hymn book. 
like of songs so that like make sure you sing and know the songs when you come. And I remember one of them, I, I love my aunt for this. Um, my aunt's one of the most godly people that I've ever met in my life. I found it in her piano bench and there was a song that had quite a bit of swearing in it and uh, she had marked all of those out. Uh, and I, I appreciate that, you know. Uh, and we won't be singing any of those this morning, but, but you know, they would, they would get together. It's just kind of funny, right? And, and why did they do that? Because this thing in their life, World War II, for many of them had been so significant, it, it probably even outweighed the significance of anniversaries and birthdays and, and different things like that because they were just so glad to have come through the war. So when they got together, they were remembering something. They remembered all of the people who had passed away. They remembered all the, the things that God had brought them through. And, and it was this special time. It's not really any different for us as we take the Lord's Supper. Every time that I eat the Lord's Supper, I have a lot of emotions that I personally feel about it. Um, I'm sure you do as well. I'm never saddened by the Lord's Supper. I'm grateful because of the Lord's Supper. I'm hopeful because of the Lord's Supper. Uh, I'm cleansed during this time. I, I'm reminded again of the cleansing of Christ in our lives. There's a lot of emotions that kind of come with it. And while this is a sober occasion, it's not a somber occasion. You know, our celebration of this is, is really important uh, because we're, we're really thinking about the symbolism of a broken body and spilled blood and how my name and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's a joyous occasion for us. But I, I want you to, to look back at verse 26 because it's gonna tell you the why we do it. And this is really important. It says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is really important. The reason why behind the supper is that we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And, and that means this morning, for instance, if you're not a Christ follower, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that means this morning that you're getting the most vivid and accurate picture that you'll probably ever get in a Baptist church of what it means for Jesus Christ to go to Calvary. And you're going to see that our senses are engaged with this, with this in a way that, that they're not engaged almost in anything else that we do in life. I mean, it, it's a beautiful picture. The Bible says that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die in your place and he died in my place. The Bible said that he went through trials where he was persecuted, where he was beaten, where he was afflicted. The Bible says that he gave up his life's blood. He was nailed to a cross through his hands, through his feet. That eventually they came and pierced his side with a spear right up under his ribs. We, we sing a song sometimes that, that says that water and blood flowed mingled down. That's what, that, that's what that's from. That's what that picture is. You're, you're understanding with that that Jesus died in your place. That is the gospel. And that if you would put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, meaning turn away, turn into a new life in a new direction, that you can be saved this morning by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. But we also proclaim his death not to those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but we proclaim it to one another. You know, it's important that we do this, that we proclaim his death until he comes. It's good for us to do this because it helps us to have hope when we feel hopeless. It, it helps us to have joy when we feel joyless. It, it reminds us of second chances and mercies. I love that song that we were singing, you know, that, that just talks about how his mercy covers us. And, and so as we proclaim his death, we're looking at one another and we're saying, aren't you glad? 
Aren't you glad that Jesus died for you? I'm glad that he died for me. There's this kind of back and forth that's going on in our lives as we proclaim this together. We're reminding ourselves that our conscience has been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are pure before him. Our sins are forgiven. But the reason we do it until he comes is it reminds us again that he is coming. There's a day he's coming. The first time he came as a babe in human form, the second time will be quite different. The scripture says that no man knows the day or the hour, that we're, we're not aware of it, but there's going to come a time when Jesus will split the eastern sky and he'll come back and he'll judge the world and he'll rule the world and establish his kingdom. So the why of the supper is important, but the manner of how you take the supper is equally important. I want you to see verse 28. Let a person examine himself in this way and let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. This is a time of examination. You know, if we're casual in our approach, if we treat this as just part of a religious ceremony that we're here together to do and, and there's no big deal about it, like it, if we think this contains no eternal significance, We're really missing the point of what Paul was saying. There's a time of self-examination so that we can look at our lives and make sure that every time we eat this supper, it's kind of a pause. It's like you've been going through your week, you've been doing all the stuff that you do, and this just puts a stop. And It's just where you go. I need to stop and really think. And, and, And it's a time for us, because it's so serious, this is a time for us as believers to allow the Lord to use the Holy Spirit in our lives to make sure that we're in right relationship with him. And because it's a time of self-examination, here's what this means. It means that if you take the Lord's Supper this morning, what you're declaring before the Lord is there's nothing between you and I. I don't have, I don't have some sin that I'm willfully living in. I'm not living in open rebellion before you. My conscience is clean. Now, what I didn't say is that that means that you're perfect, right? That's not what it means. It may very well be that as we start this time of self-examination, the Lord brings something to your mind. And and you know what? That's a great time to stop right then and repent of that. Just stop and repent of it. That's very different than I'm living in willful sin. I'm concealing sin. And I'm taking this supper trying to let everybody think and just kind of act like it's no big deal before God that this willful sin I've been hiding is not going to affect me. Listen to me. If you take this supper without self-examination, listen. Sickness, death. Oh, you don't believe that, do you, preacher? I don't know why I wouldn't. It's written in the scriptures. This is serious. So what that means for us is if you're living in willful disobedience to the Lord this morning, if if you are living with concealed sin in your life, it would be better for you to just not take it today and deal with the self-examination part of getting back in right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It'd be better for you to go, you know, I've got some stuff I need to deal with with the Lord. I need to dive in a little bit deeper here with the Lord and that's okay. That's different, right, than, than, than me coming before the table and, and, and just stopping to pray and asking the Holy Spirit before I take this. I just, I want to make sure that we're right. Is there anything that you need to speak to me about? And he says, you know, uh, that attitude that you harbored yesterday wasn't right. You're right. I confess it. It's sin. That's different, isn't it? That's different. 
This is the time where we stop and we really examine. Because I think verse 30 is a dire warning for us. This is why many of you are sick and ill among you. And many have fallen asleep. So as we approach this time, I want us to enter into a time of self-examination. And if God brings something to your mind that needs to be confessed, do that and thank him for his graciousness. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful for his mercy? Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful for the hope that we have that our conscience has been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ? All of that comes into play right now. And you can thank him for the blood that covers your sin and cleansed you from your sin, I should say. So let's do this. Let's bow for just a moment. And I'm gonna ask as we do that, I'm gonna ask the deacons, if you would just make your way to the front uh, and take your seats. And we're just gonna spend a few minutes here in self-examination. As Hunter plays, you just take this time and go before the Lord.